Welcome back to our High Five, where we're gonna highlight five awesome things that are happening in the life of our church. So let's jump into it. Up at number five, this week, our Bedford Outpost hosted Winter Wonderland, a fun-filled event of food, games, and even an ice skating rink. High five to all these families and friends. Way to share God's love with your community. Up at number four, this past Sunday, our Concord Outpost kids spent time learning about missionaries. They then wrote and decorated cards of encouragement to our missions teams here at One Church, serving with our global outreach partners. High five, you guys, to sharing God's love with our friends all over the world. Here at number three, registration for our spring semester of Rooted is open and people are already signing up. So now is your chance to embark on this 10-week discipleship journey with them. In walking through Rooted, you'll come to know God for His character, experience the power of prayer, and discover freedom from life's strongholds. Register now at church.one rooted and high five to strong roots in God's love. Up at number two, Jennifer has been attending our Bedford Outpost on Sunday mornings, and this past Sunday, she found herself ready to respond to what God was calling her to do and be baptized. Jennifer claims the truth that her identity is in Christ, and we're all celebrating that with her today. High five, Jennifer. And finally, up at number one, we're celebrating Sarah and what God is doing in her life. Sarah was baptized at our Concord Outpost this past week, and it was a beautiful celebration of her faith in Jesus. Way to go, Sarah. This high five goes out to you today. Thanks for joining us for our high five, and I can't wait to celebrate with you in the next one. That's great. Fantastic. You know, the family of God is just filled with so many Different people, different people with different gifts, and God equips us in so many different ways. We've been walking through that. You know, yesterday we were at the, um, the chili cook-off down at the Winter Festival at the ski area, and I found out that my spiritual gift does not include cooking, but Angela, her spiritual gift does include cooking. She made a delicious chili. I made one that people talked about and not in a great way, all right? It had a reputation and it was not a good one. It was a salty one, <laughs> very salty one, overly salted one, some may say. But God equips us in so many different ways and just so excited for that. And, and I want to take this time to definitely highlight that Rooted program because one of the weeks out of the 10 weeks, we highlight different spiritual gifts that God does equip us with. with. And we may not even see it. We may not think that we are in that. And maybe it's something that we even spend some time walking away from and trying to to not get involved in. But God has given us these gifts and then we're able to dive into that. So it's going to be Thursday nights, 630. I'll put the link up on the Facebook page too where you can register. If you have any questions, let me know. But I highly recommend it. It's a great way for us to get to know one another, encourage one another and just sort of dive into the different ways that we get to interact with each other and with God as well. But I don't know about you, but this series, Rodeo Clowns, has uh, it's, it's caused me to, to really take a, take a deep look. Caused me to really look hard at uh, how I approach things because I'm not somebody that often asks for help. I'm pretty hard-headed. I'm pretty stubborn. I have the mindset of like, nah, I got it. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll just keep on going. No worries. It doesn't matter how long it takes or whatever's going on. I'll just make sure I'll keep plugging away and it's going to get done. And it's because of this mindset 
that even though I grew up, grew up outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, I think that this mindset, my personality, fits in well with people of New England. And I don't mean that because I think it's, it's a person, it's a people thing. We don't always love asking for help. But up in New England, it's a little bit more so. Like, we got long, hard winters. We don't need people. We don't need daylight. We don't need warmth. We can survive. I got a jacket. What more do you want? It's fine. And it's on display often when it snows as well, I've been, been sort of noticing. We have this mindset of, like, it's my, you know, my land, my property. I'm going to take care of it. Whether it's the driveway, whether it's the walk right in front of the apartment building, whatever it is, if we got to shovel something, we're going to make sure that we're the ones doing it. We don't need help. And last year, my wife and I, we were able to buy a house. And when I say that, I mean the bank bought a house, and I'm allowed to keep my stuff there while we pay it off. But when it first snowed, I did have that mindset of like, I don't, I don't need anybody. This is my land. This is my property. I'm going to take care of it. So I go out, and, and I'm ready to go with the shovel. The problem is of where our house sits, it's right along the side of the road. So the plow comes up, and it pushes all the snow right in front of our barn. But I need to access the barn. And not only do we have the snow from the street, but we also have the snow coming down from the roof, the metal shed, the metal roof of the barn. It all piles into one spot and it solidifies overnight. But it's my land, it's my property, I'm gonna take care of it. So I go out there with the shovel, ready to go, just chipping away, just hard-headed as can be, thinking that I can really make a dent on this thing. But hour one goes by and barely anything. Hour, hour two goes by, barely anything. But then up the hill comes my neighbor, Andrew. And my neighbor, Andrew, is more New England than I'm ever gonna be, and I'm okay with that. He wears shorts all year long, and on the back of his Dodge Ram, he has a homemade bumper sticker made out of duct tape that says, back off. It's just New England through and through. But he's a super nice guy, and attached to this Dodge Ram as well, there is a plow that he has there. So he rolls up, he rolls down his window, he says, would you like some help? And I look at the situation, I look at the tools that he has, and I look at my back saver shovel, and my answer is, nah, I'm good. I'm fine, just keep on going. Like, are you kidding me? This guy, he's got a huge truck with a plow. He has a skill set. People pay him in town. Kathleen's over in Bristol, they pay him to come in and plow the, the parking lot there. People pay him to come in and plow their driveways. He's very good at it. He does it professionally. I'm there and I say, no, thank you. I don't need your help. He goes, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, yeah, thanks, yeah. 30 minutes go by, he comes back again. He says, are you sure? I'm like, yes, please, please save me. Because this is going to be my reality until my kids are up and grown out of the house and I don't even have kids yet. It's just going to take a long time if I just kept on plugging away at that pile of snow. You see, the, the great thing is that God offers up all these different skill sets within the, the pursuit of us expanding the kingdom, with the pursuit of getting more people in his kingdom in the shortest time. But then we can ask ourselves, okay, do we let people come in and help us? Do we step aside and, and kind of see where, the, where everyone's spiritual gifts might be, where they're coming from, and do we let them to, to use them? Do we do, uh, offer up opportunities for people to use those gifts that God has equipped them with? See, my problem, what I've been seeing is that in my arrogance, I think that I can just do everything on my own. But instead, I need to, to rethink that and open up my eyes to, say, to see who God is putting in my life that can help. 
who God is putting in my life with the skill set that he has given them, a skill set that is rooted in his love for them and in his Holy Spirit to help me in that situation so that we can just go at this together. We have this task in front of us and go about it together. But with this sermon series, Rodeo Clowns, we have a memory verse. It is in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. It's up on the screen behind me, I believe. So if you wouldn't mind reading along with me so we can hear the words of the Lord together this evening. It says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. A friend loves at all times times, all times, even the times where we're down and out and we don't maybe want people to come alongside of us and help, those times where we maybe don't want to burden other people, we don't want to bother them with whatever we're going through, yeah, a friend loves in those times as well. And then a brother, sister, other member of the family of God is born for a time of adversity. I've been through times of adversity. I feel like most people, maybe everyone has been through times of adversity. Maybe we're living in it right now. Maybe we know there's a time of adversity right down the road too. There's gonna be some life change and that's what's great is that we have these resources. We have these brothers and sisters, these other members of the family of God that have these skill sets, that have these resources that we can get plugged into as members of God's family. And it just is eye-opening to see how vast it is, to see how deep it is, to see how full God's family truly is. And, and then through that, we see that since all these gifts and all these skill sets and whatever we're being called into, God's providing it, we do see that God is our provider. God is our provider. God's going to call us into different things, into different tasks and, and, and callings. And the great thing is that whatever he calls us into, God is also going to equip us fully for it. The issue that we might sometimes run into is that we might not think that he's equipping us in the way that we think is going to work out. Like we have a vision in our head of what we think we need, what we think we want, and maybe what God is providing doesn't always line up. And that's going to come up with the first part of the account that we're reading in 1 Kings today, and it's the prophet Elijah we'll be looking at. Before we dive into the scripture, a little backstory. Right now there is a king by the name of King Ahab, and he is not a good dude. Right before this chapter, it says that he has done more evil in the sight of the Lord than any of the other kings in Israel before him. And if we know anything about the kings in Israel that have come before him, that title is a pretty hefty one to bear. There's been some bad stuff going on and he is the worst. He has brought in, he is worshiping Baal. He has brought in idols to Baal into the temple. He is helping rebuild the city of Jericho that was just torn down not that long ago and he's bringing it back. So God's saying, this is not what I have for my people. Elijah, I need you to go over there, deliver this message. This is what's gonna happen. So chapter 17 of 1 Kings. In first one, it says this. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine. 
east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So, you did, so he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So there's going to be a time of no rain. There's this drought that is coming over the whole land of Israel, and Elijah has to go and deliver this news. And I wonder if while he was delivering it, if it's dawning on him that, oh, I'm going to have to live through this too. But he knows that God's the provider. And if it was me, I would go there. I'd deliver that news and be like, okay, there's a drought coming. But God, you're my provider. You got this. So this is what I think you're going to provide me. Let me know if I'm a little bit close. I'm thinking it's a nice, shady, maybe tropical getaway with fruits that are abounding in a nice, clean, babbling brook of fresh mountain spring water. Is it something like that, God? And God says, nah, not really. I got something else. God still provides for Elijah, but it might not be what we anticipate. You see, first, he's saying that there's going to be food brought to him by ravens, which brings up all sorts of questions for me. If you're like me, I like knowing how my food was prepared. I like kind of have an insight, like, but I don't know if the birds are really getting this food from a kitchen that's up to code. Like, that'd be my concern. And then also, like, when they are bringing it, do they wash their, I don't know, talons? Do ravens fall into the talon category? Or their beaks? I don't think so. And then it's even they're delivering it, so they're like DoorDash. So do you tip the raven? Like, do you have to give them money too? There's a bunch of questions with the food alone. And then let's talk about the water. It was not some crystal clear mountain spring. It was probably just a step above a mud puddle and barely a step at that. But God still provides for him. God still provided for him, maybe not in a way that we anticipate, maybe not in a way that he was anticipating, but God provided all the same. And there, there can be some tension there. There might be some discrepancies between what we want and what we think we need up against what God's plan is and what God knows that we need. There can be a lot of struggle there. There can be a lot of heartache, a lot of maybe frustration with God, frustration with not thinking that, that he's looking out for us and all these different things, different emotions. It's a, it's a struggle, but where we're able to find grace, where we're able to maybe find peace is when we can work at aligning what we want with what God wants in our life as well. And it takes work, but that, that's kind of the mindset behind praying for one. God, please give me one person to share your love with it's because it's opening up our eyes to see what God has going on in the world around us. It's able that we're, we can then connect to God and, and see him and be working uh, in our lives and see all these different people in our lives and God saying, hey, I want you to share my love with this person. I want you to go out and, and help this individual. But then as we look at this too, I think as we pray for one, we can then see, okay, God, who are you putting in my life that can help me out in this time of struggle? God, who, who's there to help me as I'm going through this difficulty? Because if we're supporting one another as believers, then that joy of loving one another as Christ has loved us is right there at the front of our minds. We're able to come in, we're able to help one another, we're able to give God's love in that way. God always provides, and we always see him following through on that. 
even in ways that we might not anticipate. Because the thing is that since God is our provider, what happens with that provision that, that God gives us is that God loves his provision to move through people. As we're praying for one, we're then connecting to God, we're connecting to people, and God loves his provision to move through people. Having the ravens deliver the food, you know, that was pretty cool, but God is about to say, no, no, you see, I want you to connect to, the, to this widow, this widow in, uh, by the city gate that I'm going to tell you about. Go there. And so we're going to see that there's another character coming in in this passage right here. In verse 7 it says, Sometime later the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. Now, Elijah just pulled a classic Miller family move. I don't know if you're like this as well, where you wait for someone to get up out of the living room if you're watching a movie or reading a book or whatever, and you're like, oh, while you're up, can you please give me this? You just kind of throw that out there. Maybe they were nice enough to get you something anyway, and you're just tacking stuff onto the order as they go. Like, he, he just asked her for some water, which was first like, all right, dude, like, I'm just hanging out of the city gate. Like, I'm just picking up sticks. Why do you want? It's a drought. Did you forget that we're in a drought? There's not just water abounding, but she agrees to that. So even that is kind of like a, oh, kind of overstepping your boundaries a little bit there, Elijah. But he goes a step further and says, oh, and also please bring me some bread. And the woman about to have some words with him. And she replies, as surely the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. It's one thing to just be relying on these birds to be bringing food. It's like they're just flying around. They're not up to much anyway. It's like, okay, that's not a big ask. It's a bigger ask to go up to this woman that I think we have to keep in mind. She probably looked like someone that was surviving through a drought. There wasn't a lot of water. Probably looked dehydrated. Probably kind of dirty probably malnourished. She's maybe portioning off food for her and her son. You wouldn't maybe look at her and be like, oh yeah, I'm going to ask that person for this favor. And we look at that, we read that and be like, oh, that's overstepping a little bit there, Elijah. Are you sure? Are you sure that, that you should be asking this person? Or maybe he's asking God, God, are you sure? This widow right here, you want me to ask this woman to get in on this, this generosity that flows through you? And it is indeed and it's tough 
And she even says it. She's in there in, in her mind. It's like, the Lord, your God, surely the Lord, your God, like she's not even maybe a believer, maybe someone who, who's within the family of God or has her faith in God. And she's saying, man, this is a big ask. And she's gathering these sticks so she can prepare her final meal. But Elijah says, no, see, there, there's a better way. No, there's, there's something even better in store for you. See, if you do this, that, that flour is not going to run up. The oil will not run dry. God will provide for you, for this need that, that's in front of you right here. There's a better way. And there's this, this little step of faith here for this woman. She's, Elijah, he's a prophet of God. She's maybe not on board. She's living in this drought. And there's, there's a lot of faith here for her to say yes and to do it. Maybe in her mind she was thinking, what do I have to lose when we're going to die anyway? And now or later, whatever it might be. But Elijah says there's a better way. There's so much more in store for you. And we see it does lead to so much more. She lives. Her son lives. Elijah now is, is living with this family, this prophet of God that is able to show her what the true power of God is, what that step of faith leads to, that daily faith. Because it's not, when, when I was in Sunday school and I heard this story, I would often think as a kid like, oh, the, their kitchen was just full of flour and oil now. And they look at it and surely it could never run dry with all of these resources now. But no, I, it's a daily bread. Just enough flour and oil to make portions for that day. Maybe thinking, oh, I, I don't know if there's going to be enough for tomorrow. But then tomorrow comes and there's enough to make that loaf. And you think, oh, surely it's not going to make it till tomorrow. And then that comes again and there's enough to make it. And it keeps on going. It's that daily step of faith that we see. It was generosity of the widow. It was Elijah getting her involved with God's generosity moving through her as well. And we can be seeing these two examples here, both uplifting each other up, and we can be asking, how do we become a part of God's generosity flow? How do we get in on God's generosity flow? The first is to ask. And even asking is difficult. Asking God, show me what to give, and give me the courage to give it. Because there's portions of my life that I, I'm... I have a hard time giving up fully. Maybe you're in the same boat and maybe it's like, okay, I still have 98%, God, I still have 90%, I still have 95%, still 98% of my life is all yours. You can use whichever part you want, but this leftover bit, I would prefer to be in control of that, please. I would prefer to still have full control over that. I don't want to trust you with that. I hope it's okay because you still got all of this. But the problem is and then very quickly, that portion of our life will maybe grow a little bit more and more. We want more control over more things. And then all of a sudden we start to have our identity be shaped of, oh, maybe generosity just isn't for me. Oh, maybe giving isn't for me. That's just not something that I do. It's, other people can do it, but it's not something that I do. But then the problem with that is that identity, we start to cast onto other people as well. We might be looking at the woman at the gate and just be like, ah, I don't think generosity is for her. I don't think they get to give. I don't think they get to be a part of what God has going on. We can transfer that from ourselves onto others. Starting to put parameters on who gets to be a part of God's generosity. The thing is, God, he takes our little 
and he makes it so much more. So then we ask, God, show me what to give. Give me the courage to give it. And then the next step is to obey. See, God showed Elijah what to do next, and he, he was all in on it. And the woman was asked to, to give up what she thought would be her last meal. And there's that little step of faith. Maybe she didn't fully understand what she was doing, but she thought, what do I have to lose? And she was all in, and, and, but she still obeyed taking what God instructed them to give and carrying it through. And then with that, we see that they get to enjoy it. Ask, obey, enjoy. Because the thing is that all those other things that we might be putting before God, they're going to start to fall short. They're going to start to run out. They're going to run dry. But the flour and the oil did not run dry. It was not used up get to see that, that they're living now as this community, this woman, not only are her and her son living, but also they have this prophet of God that is staying with them, and, and she might be growing because, you see, God, God's perspective is bigger. God's perspective is bigger. Why does he need to be here in this family now? Why couldn't she just keep delivering him bread? Why is he here now? Well, God's perspective is bigger, and we're going to finish out the story this evening with why God's perspective is bigger. Continuing on in 17. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry. And the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down to the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. The woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God, that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. You see, God's perspective is bigger. I wonder when Elijah was, was hanging out with the ravens and drinking the mud water, if part of him was happier doing that than being around people. Because in their minds, in the people of Israel's minds, it's his fault that this drought is here. There's probably some people that are pretty angry with him. Word maybe got around that this is Elijah's fault and they, they might want to cause him harm. So maybe that's sitting in the back of his mind of like, oh, okay, I'll just chill here with the bread and the meat coming from the birds. I'll drink the mud water. I don't really want to go over there towards people. I don't want to go towards the gate. But you see, God's perspective is bigger. And he says, no, no, no. You see, there's this woman that I've instructed to feed you. You're going to go. You're going to meet her at the city gate. So he goes. And then he asks this widow, this woman that doesn't have anything, preparing her last meal to make him bread. And she says, no, no, no. I, I barely have anything. I can't help you out. I can't help you at all. But you see, God's perspective is bigger. And she says, yes. And there is bread and there is, uh, what, there is uh, resources for them, the flour, the oil, to make the bread. But then all of a sudden, the son still dies. And what's that about? 
Why is this happening? Now this woman who's maybe new to uh, whatever God, what, what God has got going on, she's new to this relationship with God, and now she's faced with doubt. Like, I thought you were here to save my son, and now he's dead. What's up with that? And then Elijah's here, and, and he's wondering what to do, because you see what we just read? That's the first account that we have of a resurrection in the Scriptures. That's the first time in the Bible that we see someone brought back to life. Elijah wasn't going around before this, just bringing people back to life left and right. And he, I don't know if he knows what's going on, but you see God's perspective is bigger and the boy is able to come back to life. And now the widow ends the passage with, now I know that you are a man of God and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. A whole new perspective, seeing God's generosity. You see, God is generous. God is our provider in all things. And we see that. And, and with that, it's the same case for us, this story. The sun passes away, but, but since God is our provider, God is our provider in the fact that he offered a way for us to still live with sending his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. God is our provider that he knew that we're, we're making our last meal, that we're just like her. Maybe it was more apparent to her at the time that, that she was making her last meal, but we're in the same boat. God knew that. There was never going to be a point where, where we're going to be able to get to God on our own, so he offered a way for us to connect to him through the death of his son. So we see that God is our provider and then he loves for his provision to move from people to people. And that's what Pray for One is all about. God, please give me one person to share your love with. And that's introducing people to that generosity of God. That's getting them connected to what God has going on in the world around us because God's perspective is bigger. We never know. We never know what someone else is gonna do to affect maybe us, to affect someone else in their lives, and, and it just continues to go round and round. God's given us these gifts that we're able to invest in others' lives, that they can see God's generosity, they can see God as the provider as well. It's a beautiful thing about the family of God. It's encouraging to one another, relying on each other to focus back in, on the source, but all that is made possible through the love of the Father. Because of that, we can connect to God. We're able to connect to people, connect to his mission, and all be changed, made new in Christ, in this community. Reminded of his provision for us every time that we come to the table. We're reminded of, of that night where it says the night that he was portrayed, Jesus took bread and when he gave thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way he took the cup. He said, this is my new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you stand with me, please? <clears throat>
If you're here tonight and you're like me and you feel like you're going in alone, maybe every day, every day it's a struggle. Every day you feel like you're shouldering a heavier and heavier pack and you want prayer for that. You wanna tap into God's generosity flow. I'll be down here. I'd love to pray with you. Jamie's right there. I'd love to pray with you as well. And I think as we continue to, to grow this outpost, as, as we continue to have more of a presence in Franklin, I'm gonna be relying on this family that God's providing right here. As we get more and more people connected to what we got going on here in this city, they're gonna to need to be relying on us. They're gonna be relying on each other. These new members of the family of God, these new people that are getting connected to the mission of God as well. Be ready for that encouragement. Be living with our eyes up who we can help, but then also see who can help us. And if you're here tonight and, and you're hearing about this generosity and, and hearing how God is the provider, and you're saying, I've had enough of going it alone and I want to become this, a member of this family, this, this amazing source of, of just wealth of resources and, and different skill sets that people have all in the, the pursuit of expanding God's kingdom. And you want to be baptized into the family of God tonight. We have this water right here. We're prepared to celebrate that with you as well. But would you pray with me right now? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you with all that, Lord, you have created me to be for the people in this room right now. The people that have been coming to this outpost, people that are focused on getting to know you in a, in a, more, in a deeper way, people that have a heart for spreading your love here in the city of Franklin. Lord, thank you so much for that spirit, your spirit that dwells inside of them. Lord, we ask for the courage to rely on you as our provider. Lord, we ask for the, the courage to, to be the people that your provision flows through. And Lord, we thank you that your perspective is always bigger. It's in your name we pray. Amen.